Welcome to Peaceful Ease. We all have the necessary strength and wisdom to solve most of our problems. What we often lack is a quiet space to think clearly and calmly. This podcast is all about tapping into that zone of inner wisdom. My name is Mario Pereca, and I'd like to invite you to join myself and Ela Crane every Monday and Friday. We'll be here to guide you to that endless power and insight within until you learn how to get there and function from there by yourself. This is a journey about being authentic, learning how to trust your instincts, realizing that each and every one of us are not just enough, but also perfect the way we are right now. Hey everyone, Mario Pereca here, and I'm joined as always by Ela Crane, and we'd like to welcome you to the Peaceful Ease podcast. You can find more about Peaceful Ease via our website, peacefulease.com is where we live online. You can also send us any of your thoughts, ideas, questions, or comments. Podcast at peacefulease.com is the email address, so please use that. Reach out. We love to hear from you. Ela, I love the first interview you had in the last episode with Suraj, and I can't wait for part two. I'm excited and I'm ready. Yeah, and this is a special episode in two ways. One is that I got to know a friend of mine in a completely fresh perspective, with a completely fresh perspective, even though I've known Suraj for, I don't know, a long time. Hearing his story is really inspiring. And the second thing is it made me respect him even more because he is someone who lives the way he preaches. He doesn't just talk you know he also walks the walk so i really appreciate that and i think he's a role model for me in that sense so if you listen to the last episode here it is here is the person and his journey if you haven't please go back and listen to it and let me give you really quickly a little background on suraj just in case you didn't hear the first episode but as ela said i want to urge you to go back and listen to that As well as a psychiatrist with 20 years of experience, Dr. Suraj Gogoi works as a mental health and innate well-being coach. He is also currently studying an executive MBA at the Manchester University in the UK. He discourages the excessive use of psychiatric medicines and guides people to discover their peace of mind, happiness, and well-being, which are all innate and already gifted to us. He runs a private Facebook group community for heart-centered entrepreneurs and professionals. And to find out more about Suraj's work, you can visit www.drsranisuraj.com. That's D-R-S-R-A-N-I-S-U-R-A-J.com. So go there, check out more about him and his work and what he is doing. It's, it's fascinating stuff, taking spirituality and psychiatry and combining it. And without further ado, here is part two of Ela's interview with Dr. Suraj. So Suraj, welcome back. It's so nice to have you after our last episode. And thank you for joining us because I think I was left with many questions about what you said, but also about who said it. And I was wondering, you know, I've known you for more than 10 years. Yes. It's funny because... When you came to our wedding, that was seven years ago, actually. Time flies. It doesn't feel like it. And I admit here live, <laughs> before I met you, I wasn't a very psychiatrist-friendly person because I studied 
mental illnesses self-studied and the history of psychiatry. And some of the things I read, some of the methodologies used in the history of psychiatry, like I speak lobotomy and stuff, was really for me devastating. And I thought psychiatry was more like about controlling symptoms than really healing people. So I was very much influenced by Thomas Sazer's work, a Hungarian psychiatrist who was very anti-psychiatry, who said, if you talk to God, you are praying. If God talks to you, you are schizophrenic. (laughs) 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 So I was like, no, 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 you know, I, I don't trust any psychiatrist or anyone. But when I met you, like from the moment I met you, there was this openness, a lack of any judgment Hmm. you weren't like looking to diagnose anyone (laughs) and there was this kind presence about you and I think shortly after we met I told you I remember we were I think maybe you were dropping me home or something I remember we were in your car and I said Suraj if I ever lose my mind would you be the psychiatrist to take care of me (laughs) do you remember Uh. that (laughs) (laughs) so your presence and your approach changed the way I look at things and now after our last episode I was filled with many many questions about what your journey has been like from psychiatry traditional western medicine to this beautiful spiritual perspective and yet you maintain both you haven't chosen one over the other you use both to serve in any way you can what led you to this place that you are now wow how long have we got (laughs) (laughs) Uh, three minutes (laughs) because i talk so much (laughs) well in a nutshell i suppose i was always from before I got into medicine, I'd always been interested in people, relationships, trying to understand what makes us tick, really. And how come one person can come across as very confident and another quite shy? I was quite a sort of shy, introvert kind of guy, really, growing up. And my expression was kind of getting uh, playing music. So I found expression through music. And that helped me. Now I know it didn't. But <laughs> but <laughs> what do you play, by the way? So I played a guitar. I was a drummer in a um, rock band in medical school as well. One aspect of my life, which I'm really grateful for. But in terms of personal development itself, so I came to England in 2000 to do my postgrad in medicine, having qualified in India. Coming to a foreign country without having anyone, friends or family, I had some friends, but no family at all. So I brought myself here and it was quite a shock to the system, as you can imagine, in terms of, you know, leaving your family and friends behind and the security of a society like India where, you know, everyone knows everyone's business. <laughs> and when you come here, you feel like, oh, I'm really exposed. And then things happen and I started looking for things and strategies and courses to develop myself as a person and you know that I want to be confident and I want to be a high achiever. So lo and behold, I was watching late night telly on winter evening in 2002, probably, yes. And I saw an infomercial of Anthony Robbins on TV. On the hoof, I ordered the program he was selling. So it was a kind of, um, I, I forget how many it was, like course of cassette 
tapes and like 20, 50 cassette tapes. And that came in the post from the US. And those were the days when we were listening to cassette tapes. And <laughs> <laughs> Some people who may not even know what that no, is that, known yeah, nowadays. Yeah, like <laughs> so yeah, when I got through the initial tapes, I, I got, really got sucked into it and really got hooked. Because he's the best known sort of life coach in the world probably now. Right? Mm -hmm. So I did that. And then a year or so later, he was in London doing a huge four-day conference. So I attended that as well called Unleash the Power Within. So UPW, which is quite famous. And you do things like the firewalk. And we did that. And myself and my wife, Rani. So it was all about, you know, training the mind to think in a certain way and be in a certain way. So that was very much the approach and what you think you become. And without any offense to Tony Robbins fans <laughs> amongst your audience, mm -hmm. but that was cutting edge at that time. I mean, it really helped us kind of move on with life and negotiate through many challenges. But at the same time, I was getting into early training as a psychiatrist down in Southwest England and beginning to enjoy it and get frustrated by some things within it that has, didn't quite resonate with my kind of values or with my beliefs about, you know, what well-being meant and what people were looking for and how we were unable to help them. And that kept me on the search, really, to look and look for answers. So I was very much a seeker in that sense early on because I hadn't found the answer I was looking for deep within. Still quite sort of unhappy. And so the journey through training was, yeah, it was not an easy ride, I'd say, you know, to put it in simple words. But cutting a long story short, about seven years ago, I went to a course run by a lady who had this new understanding called the three principles of well-being. So I said, well, I don't know what that means, but let's go and see because I know she runs good courses and, and I knew her as a friend. What were those three things? Could you quickly share with us? So three principles, it's an understanding which was first described by a chap named Sidney Banks, who was a Scottish welder who had settled in Canada. And he was not an intellectual, he was a f like a philosopher, he was not a professional psychologist or anything of that nature, but he had personal problems of his own. But one day he had this sort of realization about, okay, us humans, our experiences sort of are all subject to these kind of three principles. And for him, the three principles were mind, thought, and consciousness. Everything happened by the dynamic that happened between these kind of three forces. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go into three principles because it's a huge subject. Mm -hmm. But just very briefly, was this back then at least an area that is not covered within your psychiatry studies like mind and consciousness? So not in that way that was described by Sidney Banks. So ours was very much about, yeah, there is a mind. That's why we do psychological therapies. But the mind is, the medical model of how we thought about mind was quite different from you know, mm -hmm. the psycho-spiritual sort of understanding of the mind. Yes, so in psychiatry, it's quite biased towards kind of biological understanding of human sort of mental health problems. Although we did a lot of training in psychological therapies as well, like psych psychoanalysis and cognitive analysis, CBT. But as a psychiatrist, you are expected to be able to learn how to prescribe. Mm -hmm. how to prescribe for common mental health problems and severe mental health problems. 
like psychosis and depression and bipolar and schizophrenia. Yeah, I mean, that's how I got into it, I suppose. And then thinking back, what kind of led me to it and made me more kind of receptive to that sort of learning was because I was still less than kind of satisfied with my own practice, professional practice. There was this kind of conflict within me because I feel like I'm prescribing all these medicines to people and am I going to take it myself if I needed them? I couldn't kind of hand on heart. Could I say that, yeah, Mm. I'm going to take them. Like I would say, you know, if I had an infection, I would take an antibiotic. Yes, I have no problem in saying that. But will I take an antidepressant? Will I take an antipsychotic? Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. I wasn't. <laughs> so if I'm not going to take my own medicine, mm-hmm. who am I to ask other people to take that? And you know, so it wasn't kind of sitting easy with me for for many many years. Mm-hmm. But I needed something else. Could we say that you needed a medicine that you will take yourself first? <laughs> <laughs> so I felt I didn't have anything better to offer. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I felt at that stage, because I didn't feel I had the wisdom. I didn't feel I had the knowledge and experience to be talking about other things. And I felt there was a threat to my identity as a psychiatrist even. So if I said, no, I, I cannot prescribe, I cannot give you this, or these are, this is not exactly what you want. You need to be looking at X. Why is that aspects of yourself or your life or something? Because I felt that was not my mandate. This was not what I've been asked to do. And mm-hmm. There was an ongoing conflict for a long time. So when I came to that sort of understanding of the three principles of, as I call it, the three principles of innate health and well-being, that was a game changer. I felt, yes, now I've got something. Because I was not looking for a strategy. I was not looking for another toolkit. And that absolutely suited me fine. And when I experienced it myself, because that's, that's the medicine I took first before I even took it to my patients or anyone else. And I felt, yes, now I can actually, from a place of authenticity, from a place of you know, having experienced it myself, I can actually be a guide to other people. And realizing as well that my experience is my experience and people will have their own experience, of course. But at least I can point them to where their well-being was and help them move away from that sort of endless cycle of being caught up in their sort of own beliefs and ideas about what they need to do, how they need to fix their problems. That answers my question. And how do you maintain your own well-being? Like we discussed in the last episode, there is this blue sky there. That is the background, unchanging background. Do you have any practices that helps you maintain that? Short answer, no. (laughs) (laughs) So um, so I'm very careful when I get into any practice now, I have to be careful, oh, I'm falling into the trap of using a tool again. Because if the truth is that we don't, the blue sky is always there for us to, as long as we know it's there, as long as we know that it's gravity is there, I don't need to do anything to make gravity work. So why would I need to do anything to feel well, to connect to that well-being? Because I'm connected. Mm-hmm. I probably need to stop doing what I am doing. Does that make sense? To strip away something that's kind of covering that, my connection to that well-being. Yeah. But I'm connected. I'm hooked up to that well-being. Everyone is. Mm-hmm. But it's the shroud or the cloak being thrown by our ego mind all the time. Mm-hmm. When we were talking in the last episode about waking up, and when you wake up, you are in pure bliss and awareness, then your mind wakes up a bit later as well. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all hell breaks loose and you, you got yeah it's being aware of that and being able to kind of just step outside of myself and say ah oh, this is mine actually telling me that I'm not well 
that I'm not loved when I'm, I am love. Mm-hmm. When I'm not at peace, when I, I am peace, I am the embodiment of peace. I'm the embodiment of love and happiness and everyone is. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's so simple and you don't have to kind of do, oh, you have to do this ritual or this meditation or this and that, but you can do all of those things. You can enjoy them for what they are, but not to seek something that is already in your gift that you already have. So it is quite freeing. So it kind of has freed me up to really enjoy the objects in life just for the sake of enjoying those objects. So, you know, if I'm driving a good car, a nice car, I just enjoy it. I don't buy, go and buy a car to get happy or to get validation from somebody or to, you know, not for all of those things. Mm-hmm. So then life takes a different meaning almost. You're going more with the flow. Mm-hmm. Talk a lot about life is actually playing in the screen of your mind and you're an actor in that scene, but you haven't been given a script. So you don't know what are you supposed to do next. You're just responding. And that's the beauty of it. But when we get caught up in that wanting to, okay, what's going to happen in the next scene? What's going to happen in the next scene? That's food for our ego mind. And that we don't know what's in the next scene. Mm-hmm. So we've just got this moment. How do we fulfill our role in that play at this moment? We have to go with the flow. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to enact our role in a way that we can, all of us can. It's funny because just listening to you when you said that, no, you don't have any practices to maintain that blue sky because it's there. I was also listening inward and I had two reactions arise in me. My heart was saying, yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> My mind was saying, no, 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 one has to meditate, one has to do this. <laughs> and I thought, uh-uh. Uh, this is the trap he's just describing now. It's not a future goal. It's not conditional. It's not like you do this and that, and then you get that. No, it's right here, right now. Exactly, exactly. And that's natural for the mind to kick and scream when you get this awareness for the first time. So it's going to say, no, that's you don't want to go that way. You, you want to come and stick with me and you don't sit next to me. Come on. Don't listen to what your consciousness is trying to you know, point you towards. You know. So it's always going to do that. That's the ego mind. That's, that's the nature of the mind. So it's going to pull you, drag you away. That you have to do these practices. You have to, only if you do these 10 different steps in a certain way, then you're going to meet well-being at the end of it. And it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for reminding us that. And being the embodiment of that, that here we can sense your presence and we know that there are no hidden practices behind. It's just that continuous awareness that is available to you and okay you can go on your daily life and maybe forget about that but when you need it it's ready it's there yeah can you imagine how powerful that is so if you are looking at going to a relationship if you had that realization that i'm going to the relationship to enjoy the relationship but i'm not going there to seek anything Mm -hmm. expecting anything with the expectance of anything so if one out of two partners can see that And when both of them see that, can you imagine the magic that can happen? Suraj, thank you so much for your time and for being here with us and sharing this wisdom and your energy and this presence. I'm grateful and I really hope to have you as a guest again. I'd love to. Thank you for having me. This was the second part of the interview with Dr. Suraj Gogoi. And I would like to thank him again 
for his openness and sharing his story and his take and combining spirituality and psychiatry together. So thank you, Suraj. I also love the fact that it's not just spirituality and psychiatry, but they have a focus for entrepreneurs. I was checking out his website as we were listening to the episode. And the thing that kind of stands out on his website is they work with heart-centered entrepreneurs. And I really like that. It's funny because, you know, you talk psychiatry, but then you talk heart-centered. And I think it's super important because I think that heart-brain connection is something that when you utilize it, especially as an entrepreneur or service provider, it makes things infinitely more powerful. Leading from the heart, leading with emotion, and then justifying later with intellect. And I think that the spirituality comes from the soul, which can be connected directly to the heart. And then psychiatry is the mind. So I think it kind of, it's a holistic approach that covers everything. And I absolutely love it. It really caught my attention. That's where everything comes from, right? It comes from the heart. If we start to get in our heads too much, we can get in our own way. But if you operate from the heart and you care, amazing things happen. And I want to remind people, if they want to check out Dr. Siraj's website and see what I'm talking about, they can go to drsranisiraj.com. That's D-R-S-R-A-N-I-S-U-R-A-J.com. Go there, check that out, see what they're up to, especially if you'd like to be a, heart, a more effective heart-centered entrepreneur. They have a Facebook community as well. And you can check us out at peacefulease.com. That is our website and all things peacefulease live there. Ela, thank you so much. It's been another fantastic couple of interviews that you've done. And I absolutely love your interviews and the guests you bring on. I mean, from the beginning and the launch of Peacefulese to where we are now, you are just really embracing that interview style. And I just love the way it's coming out. So thank you for all the value you're bringing. For Ela Crane, I'm Mario Pereca. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you on the very next episode of the Peacefulese podcast. Thank you for listening to the Peacefulese podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with friends and family. Remember, the bigger the support, the more fun the journey becomes. If you'd like to get in touch with Ela, you can reach out to her at peacefulease.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, be kind to yourself.